For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi there, welcome back, Mike Farrell Sports Show. My name is Adam, and as always, Mike Farrell was with me this week. Uh, week two games have taken place, Mike. Some surprises, some upsets, a whole bunch of stuff going on. We have a lot to get into, but first, I got to check in on you. How's the ear? How's how's life? Everything okay? Ears okay. It worked itself out, um, so that's good. And uh, I, we were talking about the what we're going to talk about pre-show and I totally forgot about Texas and Alabama. We got to talk about them too. So um, I'd like to start with the $15 million man and kind of why they decided to do this September 11th instead of October 2nd. And I think my theory is this, they could have saved seven and a half million dollars if they waited till October 1st. There's a fear at Nebraska that he was actually potentially going to beat Oklahoma. And I know that sounds stupid, but if he did beat Oklahoma, what would you do? Would that change anything? I think this was the time to do it, and they decided to rip the Band-Aid off and just waste $7.5 million. Yeah, for those who uh, who aren't tracking, Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers lost at home to Georgia Southern 45-42. Uh, after the game, uh, the next day, Trev Alberts, the uh, Nebraska AD, let Scott know he would no longer be needed there. On October 1st, if Scott was let go, they owed him $7.5 million. On September 11th, when they actually let him go, they owed him $15 million. And, Mike, I think the two things that come to mind were, A, your, your first point was they, they couldn't let him stay and do anything successful because then what do you do, right? Let's say he beats Oklahoma. Let's say he beats Purdue. Let's say he pulls off a miracle against Michigan, whatever that timeline looks like. The longer you let him stay, the more opportunity you have to have him change your opinion of that. This was rock, rock bottom, at least the, the latest rock bottom. So he's got to go. And at this point, you say, hey, he's a, he's a favored son of Nebraska. We appreciate his support. He did everything he could. You know, as a sign of goodwill, we're going to let him go with his entire $15 million. Maybe that got negotiated down. I guess we'll see. But I, I think it, it was not surprising. Once you saw that 45 42 it was really just a matter of when I always felt like Nebraska was, was going to do this, you know, as a, as a goodwill gesture to a, their favored son, not anymore though, Scott Frost. Yeah. And it was a done deal after Northwestern. Um, you know, they beat North Dakota and they struggled a little bit and they expected to beat Georgia Southern. And, and then I think they expected to lose to Oklahoma. And then you got the Indiana game, uh, maybe get through Rutgers and then you've got the bye week and fire them after Rutgers. But as you mentioned, Rock bottom is rock bottom. Um, you know, they're trying to come out. I don't think it was negotiated down. Originally, I did think that, but Trevor Alberts came out and said he's getting the full $15 million, which is stunning to me. I, at the very least, would have done – this is kind of a mercy killing. It's like, okay, Scott, this isn't working out. You just lost to Georgia Southern. You know, why don't we get rid of you right now and we'll pay you $12 million, $11 million, whatever. And, and why would Scott Frost say yes? Well – I don't know, just because he has, I guess, survivor's guilt or something, you know, like he's been stealing money from Nebraska for the last, you know, four years. Uh, maybe he would want to do that and, and sort of help out the program. But from what I understand, 
Um, it's the full $15 million buyout, which again, it's just, this is, he shouldn't have been back this year. They gave him another chance, but they would have had to pay that buyout anyways. Uh, It's just, they need to erase the board from Scott Frost. Uh, This has been the biggest disaster homecoming that Nebraska could ever fear. And the worst four year stretch that they've had in 60 years. Now it's on who are you going to get? Who's going to want this job? Is it attractive enough to get a Matt Campbell to leave Iowa State when he's turned down better jobs or at least interests from better programs? Is it is it enough for Luke Fickle to leave? Um, he's still got family ties, obviously, to Cincinnati. Um, can you go out and get a Dave Dorn at NC State to leave a good gig uh, and, and take over this potential nightmare? I don't know. Um I don't know who they hire. I, honestly, I think whoever it's going to be, the, the fans aren't going to be happy. They were thrilled with Scott Frost. Um, you know, they could get a Lance Leopold. They could try to get a Chris Kleiman. Uh, those are very, very good football coaches. Or they can get a coordinator like Bill O'Brien or Jim Leonard. But they need a great coach. They need to luck into finding a great coach. And we're going to get to those down the line in this podcast about the Mark Stoops and the, and the Sam Pittmans of the world. And I'm not sure if they have the ability to find that guy because they've really blown this since Polini, and that was a long time ago. What about another name that I read that I thought was interesting? What about Gary Patterson? Obviously, let go of TCU. He's uh, an analyst now for Sark at Texas. Obviously, a, a well-respected head coach, built built the TCU program. Do you see him as a fit there? It's a great coach. I mean, that would fit the uh, the great coach. He's 62. Um you know, he's, he's a little, he's like me. He's very antiquated in his ways. Um, I'm not sure if he is a guy who embraces the portal or embraces NIL or, you know, any of the, the, the funkiness that's going on at the end of TCU, there was a little bit of a, you know, butting head situation about how TCU in the Dallas Metro area has to come to light with the changing world of college football. And Gary Peter Patterson was winning the way he did things. And sometimes you get coaches who are stubborn and set in their ways that may not embrace that. He'd be a great hire as a coach. Uh, and, and again, I don't worry as much about the portal because, you know, Frost hit the portal really well this past season, the off season, and it didn't help. I don't care about NIL. Um, I care about three stars playing like four stars and five stars. And, and that's what Gary Patterson could do. So, I don't think they want to go defensive coach, though. I know Scott Frost was an offensive guy. I think they want to go offensive coach, um, even though some of the best names out there are defensive coaches. It's just what I heard initially is that they want to they want to bring excitement. Um, they thought Frost would do that with his offense, but they want to bring excitement, um, something that the fans can get around and, and get excited about, even if it's a Josh Heupel type of rebuild where the offense is great and the defense just slowly gets better. Um, I'm not sure if a defensive coach would, would fit the bill there. What, what, I mean, I guess realistically, what should Nebraska be? I mean, I, I know they think they should be competing for national championships. Every, every team thinks that. What do you think means success, though? I, I think that's what, what Trev Alberts and that, and that team have to figure out is what does success look like, right? Does it look like competing? Does it look like winning national championships? Or is it, is it just double-digit win? I mean, what does success look like in Nebraska in 2023 and beyond? I don't think every team thinks that. I don't think every fan base thinks they should be competing for national championships. I think Nebraska fans do because they've been there and done that. Um, you know, I don't think that that's the thought process of some other 
you know, middling programs. And by that, I mean, I mean, do the Gamecocks think that they're going to win national championships? Um, NC State with Dave Doran, you know, if they can compete in the ACC and, and, and you know, uh, get to a good bowl game, honestly, I think that's the expectation. It is The problem is it's just not that way at Nebraska because of how good they used to be 100 years ago. Um, realistically, what they should be looking for is what Polini gave them, which is nine wins a season every year. That'd be great. Um, and I think if they got a guy who did that, it wouldn't be enough for them, and they'd want to take it to the next step. Um, there's a lot of examples of coaches like that, though, where sometimes you get spoiled. Uh, I think BYU is a good example with Bronco Mendenhall. You know, he was a tremendous coach, did a job, and there was some pushback at BYU of all places that he wasn't winning enough, and he would always win eight to nine games. And that's just one example of you have to know who you are. You have to know what your ceiling is, and Nebraska doesn't know that because their ceiling used to be so high. Uh, but in 2022, they're an eight and four football team on a good year. What's the salary budget for this job? I read someplace where Scott Frost will have cost Nebraska upwards of like 25 million just in buyouts alone from Mike Riley to paying UCF to paying his buyout to paying some of his assistants. What's the salary budget you think for the Nebraska head coach? What kind of money you think they, they can afford to dole they'll, out? They'll, they'll, I mean, they're going to be one of the few teams in the market for a head coach this season. Um, you know, which is good. I mean, last year was just absolutely insane. When you, when you go around and think about it, I was thinking about guys on the hot seat now that frost is gone and everybody I thought of, you know, that's at a big program is in their first year or second year. Um, and that not everybody or their established guys that aren't on the hot seat. So it's, it's one of those situations where they're going to be, it's going to be a buyer's market, so to speak. Um, I think, you know, they, they paid a lot of money for frost, uh, you know, upwards to $5 million and higher per year. I think that's what they have to do. I mean, people see these TV contracts, they see this TV money, the boosters are never, ever shy about, um, you know, writing checks at Nebraska. So I think they're going to be extremely aggressive. Um, that might lead them to overpay. It depends on who it is. If they want to pull a Fickle or a Campbell or somebody else away from an established job um, as a head football coach, and I'm not talking Leopold as much as those other two guys. I mean, those other two guys have a lot of um, cachet. They're going to have to pay big bucks, and we're talking seven, $8 million a year. So they can do that, though. I don't think money is going to be a problem. I think it's choice. And, and I, when Frost was hired, I mean, you're the UCF guy. I thought it was a great hire. I thought it was a perfect fit. In Florida and some other programs came after him. And I thought – I didn't think like Mario Cristobal that this was going to be a layup because I still think that's a layup because of the recruiting territory. But I thought Frost going back there would make a big difference and, and at least take them to heights that Riley didn't take them to. I never saw this regressing. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, really twofold. We talked about this in the last show, right? His, his recruiting of the Florida athlete and sort of the, the big-time athlete in Nebraska was much more challenging than his path at Florida to do that. But people forget he was a two-year head coach. He was six and seven his first year at UCF. It wasn't like he he lit the world on fire. I think he hit lightning in a bottle in that 2017 year, go 13-0 with, with a great team, a ton of talented players. 
And, you know, to your point, I, I it seemed like it would make a lot of sense, but he was still a coach learning on the job in some respects. And, I, you know, I don't know, man, it's tough to learn on the job in a place that means that much to you in a place that's expecting that much from you, right? Like he could go six and seven UCF and no one cared. He could have gone, you know, 12 and, you know, 12 and two the next year. No one would have cared, right? He could have gone 10 and three. No one would have cared. But when you're in Nebraska and you're the favored son and you're coming home to revitalize the, the Tom Osborne era, that's just a world of pressure on him. And I think, honestly, I think his, his downfall, Mike, will be his, his loyalty. He brought his entire staff with him from UCF. And some of those guys probably didn't belong at a coordinator level at a Big Ten school. He stuck with him for a few years. Finally, last year, got rid of his offensive staff. Would not touch his defensive staff. Eric Janander's been there forever. And they give up 45 points to, you know, to, to a Georgia Southern team. So I think at the end of the day, his, his ego in some respects, I think his, uh, his loyalty is probably going to end up paying, you know, what pays off his downfall. Yeah, and there's a lot of good options out there as far as experience because Scott Frost, as you mentioned, was a two-year head coach, and maybe he did lock into that that undefeated season. Um, he was a hot name at Oregon before he got hired at UCF, you know. But when you talk about Lance Leopold, he's been a head coach, Division three national championships, then Buffalo, then Kansas. You talk about Matt Campbell, you know, he's been around at, at Iowa State forever, Gary Patterson forever at TCU, Luke Fickle forever at Cincinnati. Um, you know, even some of the other names out there, Matt Rule, if he doesn't last in Carolina, was a coach, you know, Temple and Baylor, and he's, he's done a great job of rebuilding programs, um, and he might be the best fit of all. Um, you know, Dave Doran, you just can't take a risk. Even even Bill O'Brien, you know, offensive coordinator, was a head coach at the NFL level, head coach at Penn State. You, you just can't take a risk with somebody that you don't really know what you're going to get. Um and that's why, you know, you see some names on the list like Jim Leonard at Wisconsin or Alex Grinch at USC. Mm, Nikki Joseph, you know, he's going to get experience this year coaching as an interim. They cannot take a chance. They have to find somebody with head coaching experience. They have to find somebody who gets it. Um, you know, that's why I like O'Brien, maybe, because of what he did mm -hmm. at Penn State when, when the sanctions came through. Rule, maybe, what he did at Baylor when they were in that mess. This isn't a... You know, Jerry Sandusky, <laughs> this isn't a, 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 a Baylor, you know, uh, sexual assault situation. This isn't like, but this is bad. This is like, you just suck. Um, you're not in scandal, but you suck. And you need a, pro, a program builder and a guy who can actually go in there and has been through that before. You know, you don't want someone... You don't want someone cleaning out your septic tank that's never been through the crap before, and and that's what they need. They need someone who could dig them out of this crap. All right, let's transition. Speaking of someone who's got to dig out of crap and someone who, who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience, Notre Dame obviously takes a chance, brings in Marcus Freeman as our head coach. He was sort of the, the player's favorite. I think the the guy most of the, the players on the team wanted. Uh, and this year has not started off favorable for uh, for good old Marcus Freeman, including a 26-21 loss at home to a Marshall team that is improving. Charles Huff has that team playing really, really good. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think anyone saw this one coming. Marcus Freeman now is uh, – he's got the offer, Mike, on his uh, on his resume yeah. thus far. What Where do we do – is he – is it – is it too early to call this one? Is he in over his head? Is this something that is this going to be a one and done situation? It's too early to call it. Um, you know, obviously Brian Kelly started one and three and there's been other coaches at Notre Dame that have started slowly, but you know, those guys had experience. This, this was a hire, I think based on a little bit of fear and, and 
maybe not fear, but a little bit of a butt hurt, a little bit of uh, being broken up. You know, like sometimes you get yeah. broken up by a by a by a girlfriend. You go and you, you don't date the 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 smartest, prettiest girl. Uh, after that, you know, call the you rebound, take, Mike. Call the rebound. Take, take a risk, you know. And, yeah. and Marcus Freeman, you know, he was great at Cincinnati as coordinator, solid at Notre Dame as coordinator, but no offense, no, no, no um, head coaching experience. You know, taking over for a guy who went to the championship game, the playoff twice, all time winning as coach at Notre Dame. That's a big, big thing. Um, and they were so jilted by Kelly that I think they wanted to appease not only the players, but, you know, the boosters. And this guy wants to be here and this guy's a hot name. And, you know, LSU was interested in him and on and on and on without really thinking, can he do it? Can he live up to those expectations? It's too early to say he can't. You know, Buckner being out now for, for the season is really, really bad. Um, things are potentially going to get worse. When you look at that schedule, uh, this is the problem I have, is that that schedule at the beginning of the season, it was hard to find more than two losses, according to Notre Dame fans. You know, okay, maybe we'll lose to Ohio State. Maybe we'll lose to Clemson. But the rest we got, 10-2 and two minimum. And that's why a lot of people had them as the number five team in the country preseason. But now you look. North Carolina, uh, the defense that I saw against Marshall is going to have trouble stopping them. The offense that I saw against Marshall may not light up the scoreboard against North Carolina like others have. BYU looks a lot better than a lot of people expected. Syracuse looks a lot better than a lot of people expected. And, and USC is off to a very good early start when some people thought they might struggle with all the transfers and, and their, their work in the trenches. So Six and six is very possible. He'll survive six and six, but he'll be on the hot seat next year. Not a one and done. Not not a guy that, you know, we can definitively say is over his head. Uh, but, man, it just it doesn't look – that team I saw against Marshall was just as bad as Notre Dame's been since maybe 2016 or maybe even 20 – I don't know, 2015, like some really bad, but Tulsa comes to mind. Notre uh, Navy comes to mind. That was just one of the worst losses in the last decade for Notre Dame. And they just didn't look good. Is it fair to lay this all at his feet though? I mean, obviously he inherited uh, a team. He inherited some of these guys. He, 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 re he retains Tommy Reese, obviously who, you know, has obviously been there for a million years as well. Is it fair to put this all at, at his feet? I mean, in some respects, is, is he just not dealing with what he, you know, was left in the cupboard when Ryan Kelly took off? You, you, you have to put it at his feet because he gets paid a lot of money. I mean, that's the thing. If you, if you want to be a head football coach at Notre Dame, everything falls at your feet. Um, you know, you could talk about inheriting coaches or sticking with coaches. You could talk about the losses, you know, uh, at running back or defensive line or, you know, Hamilton in the secondary. You talk about all that stuff, but it doesn't matter. This is Marshall. Okay. And, and that's a great movie, um, but <laughs> it's not a great football team and you should never lose to them. It's now Ohio State. Yeah. Okay. I get that on the road. But the, no. So if this was a loss to even a Syracuse or a USC or a BYU or somebody, you know, Syracuse is a little bit pushing it. But this is Marshall. You should not lose to Marshall. It falls at the head coach's feet. They just didn't look like they gave a crap. They, they played very uninspired football at home. And usually when a team gets down and the crowd starts to get a little restless, you know, then they snap two and say, okay, let's let talent take over. Let's get angry. Let's take this. 
Marshall took care of this game pretty much throughout. They set the tempo, they set the pace, and they were the team that looked like they were the preseason number five team, and Notre Dame didn't look anything like that. Well, it doesn't just uh, end with Marcus Freeman. Uh, Mike, Jimbo Fisher and the the Texas A&M Aggies go down to App State 17-14. I think we talked about this on the show last week. App State was an interesting opponent coming off of – uh, their uh, their win or their game against North Carolina. I think you would said, "Hey, it's Texas A&M. Let's see what happens." Well, what happened was they go in there, win seventeen fourteen. Jimbo Fisher, uh, I, I think you had this on your Twitter at uh, Mferral Sports, has I think almost the identical record yeah. as as Kevin Sumlin after fifty games. Which, yeah. by the way, don't look it up. It's not good. Uh, but Jimbo's again getting a bunch of money. He's got a bunch of uh, good publicity, you know, recruiting classes, all this stuff, Mike. But is Jimbo just doing Jimbo things where he kind of ruins and and wears out his welcome pretty early on? Yeah, I think he is. I I think this is a real turning point season for him. I think this was a turning point loss because you look at the rest of the schedule, you've got Miami coming in. um, Then you've got, you know, your regular SEC schedule in the West. You've got, you know, everybody from Alabama to Ole Miss to uh, LSU, Uh, Arkansas is very, very good football team. And then you got a crossover game against Florida. So this is a tough schedule. Um, a lot of people had them, you know, of course, they were number six in the country, which means that they were supposed to be the number three team in the SEC because Alabama and Georgia were ahead of them. But that means finishing second in the SEC West. And that's un- very unlikely to happen based on what we saw this weekend. And now, you know, you wonder, it makes you think about that national championship with Jameis Winston. It makes you think about whether he, you know, Scott Frost fell into a, a great team at UCF. Maybe Jimbo got lucky. Uh, maybe the quarterback carried him. Um, you know, he developed quarterbacks at LSU. He developed quarterbacks at Florida State. But Jameis was the only one who really stuck. You know, Christian Ponder and those guys don't count. Um, and then he hasn't developed a quarterback at Texas A&M. And that's an issue. And it's still an issue. Haynes King does not look good. The team doesn't look inspired. Um it's just a bad loss. And this is another home one. I mean, you, you can't lose these football games at home. You can struggle and limp your way to a victory. And then on the, on the you know, schedule, it looks like you blew them out by 50. But you can't, you can't lose at home to these teams. So he's, he's under some scrutiny here. I think it's going to affect recruiting if he doesn't, you know, turn things around. Uh, and I think it's going to be – Texas A&M's got a lot of money. There's a lot of boosters. Uh, if he goes eight and four this season, there's going to be a lot of questions about whether he's the right guy. And if it gets worse than that, there's going to be a lot of people that maybe want to make a change. What does he do at quarterback? Obviously, Haynes King has not uh, not shown to, to be the answer though far. What do you think he turns to quarterback wise? It's got to go to Max. You know, you have to still you have to still attempt to to obviously move forward as a, as a football program. So you can't go to Connor Wagman. I don't think, you know, Connor Wegman's probably the most talented quarterback on that particular team. You know, Haynes King, I thought would be a better choice as the starter because he's a little bit harder to game plan for. And he's, you know, a little bit more mobile, but he can't he can't make proper decisions. He, he, he takes bad sacks. He throws bad interceptions. So then you got Max Johnson, you know, who's got experience at LSU, but he's not a world beater either. Uh, but I think you take Max Johnson, you put him in the starting role. See if we can settle this team down, you know. But if you go in the midseason and, and you're talking about, you know, let's say you're talking about a loss to Miami and a loss to Arkansas, and this is a one and three football team, 
Then I think at Mississippi State, that's where you just throw Wagner out there and say this is a rebuilding year. But nobody wants to hear that whatsoever. Um, the other red flag to me at Texas A&M, and I mean, this doesn't all fall on Jimbo, but again, he's the head coach, so it kind of does. They didn't develop players well for the NFL. Um, I was hmm. really surprised. You know, Weidemeyer, Spiller, some of those guys, uh, Leal, that were supposed to be first rounders or second rounders heading into last season, tested horribly, really hurt their draft stock in many different ways with poor film or poor uh, testing results. And it was very alarming to me when, as a draft analyst that they didn't get better, they got worse. And that's the biggest fear I would have as a Texas A&M fan with Jimbo. Are we regressing? Um, we're getting talent. We got the number one class of the 2022 class. Whoopee, whoopee. But are you developing these players? Um, because if if three of your best players last season completely regressed way down off the NFL map when it comes to first, second rounders, what are you going to do with these 2022 kids? And how are you going to handle the portal when December rolls around if you're not a good football team? Because you're going to lose half that class. Having said that, if he beats Miami, is all forgiven? Mm-hmm. Sure, because we live in a week-to-week -week world. We live in an overreaction world. We live in a world of, you know, Mario Cristobal being on a hot seat after that. Like, people <laughs> would be like, oh, Mario's overrated. He beat two crappy teams, and now he plays the one good team, and he's three games into his tenure, and they lost to a crappy Texas A&M team that lost to App State, and Miami would lose to App State directly. This is the world we live in, and the reason for it is the Internet – and the 24-hour, you know, sports shows and content and content and content is key in this world. And people have to keep churning it out because the attention span is five minutes. So that's going to be the hot take. You know, Jimbo will be back. Things will be right again. And Mario Cristobal will be the guy under, under scrutiny. Well, speaking of content and changing our mind, in an update to a previous story, Anthony Richardson sucks now, apparently, uh, because does. Florida Florida um, gets uh, gets whooped in the swamp 26-16 to uh, Kentucky. Uh, he, a, uh, Anthony Richardson did not look good through some really bad interceptions, including one that essentially seals the deal. Uh, so last week, uh, we were we were trying to figure out how to etch his name on the Heisman. This mm -hmm. week, uh, he should be third string at, uh, at Southern Miss, as far as I can tell, Mike. Uh, but overall, I think we're missing. Kentucky played really well. Mark Stoops, Mark Stoops has that program really humming along right now. They're two and zero. That's a nice win in the swamp against a Florida team that had a nice win in the swamp against a really good Utah team. Do the math on that. It's just amazing, you know. Because again, I I fall into it as much as anybody else because I'm not one of those stubborn guys that makes a take and then just stubbornly sticks with it. You know, I I said Patrick Mahomes was a that they shouldn't have traded up for Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, you know, and that was obviously wrong. And I'm not one of those guys that's sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting for Patrick Mahomes' 14th year and his arm is gone and he's throwing <laughs> interceptions to say, I told you so. I was wrong, really wrong. So when I saw the way they played against Utah and I saw Anthony, you know, Richardson and the way they ran that offense, you know, with his own read and keeping him off balance and getting him in tempo and getting him some easy completions. I'm like, man, if they keep playing this offense, he's going to be really hard to game plan for and stop because they didn't use him as a runner that much. Um, and then this happens, you know, 14 to 35, two picks, 
40% completion rate. Oh, horrible. Just looked awful in every shape. So I, I, I believed in Florida and Billy Napier and what they were doing. Now, that doesn't mean he's never going to lose a game. But, man, they got knocked around. And Kentucky played more physical than they did. So maybe Utah's not as good as we think. Who knows? I mean, they destroyed whoever, Southern Utah. Maybe we just don't know enough about anything to really judge. But, yeah, we were anointing Anthony Richardson as the number one overall pick in the NFL draft and blah, blah, blah. And this is why everybody has to take pause. He started three football games. That's it. So in this world of instant gratification and hot takes, I fell into it. I jumped too much because they said, if this guy could stay healthy, it's 6'4", 232, there's no way to stop him. I think the offensive game plan stopped him because I don't think they set him up for success in this game. Well, his QBR looked more like his GPA 3.8 was his QBR. Whoa. Here's the stat that I was shocked at. Six carries, four yards. Insane. I mean, to your point, we, we saw him just, just just tuck the ball and, and churn yards against Utah, particularly in big spots. It, so I guess, well, in the hot take world we live in, is this more about Anthony Richardson? Or should we, we be talking more about Mark Stoops and that Kentucky defense? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, you know, Kentucky was missing some some personnel offensively and defensively. And Mark Stoops is a tremendous coach, and they play a physical brand of football. Uh, but they were rebuilding their entire offensive line. They didn't have Chris Rodriguez on offense. You know, Will Levis didn't light up the world. Um, but defensively, they played very sound. I, I want to talk more about the offensive strategy from Billy Napier and company because what are you doing? I mean, you've got a six foot four, two hundred thirty pound kid who can run, uh, make people miss in the open field, long strider. I mean, we're talking Vince Young type of athleticism, and you're not running the ball at all. Um, why not even just use him as a, a decoy threat or whatever? Just have him run a few times. Introducing whether they're. Hmm. Our best price ever. Just Hold on. Through line. New sponsor. How does it stop? It won't stop. $30 a line. Yeah. I had talk to close about this it. Though, so, like, yeah. that's really, a, that's amazingly annoying because I get it. Auto ads on ESPN and all that stuff. But then when you hit the little mute button or you hit the pause button, it still won't stop. Like, it's just invasively in your face, like attacking you. And you have to close <laughs> the window. That's a little over the top, but I just think they could have used him as, as more of a threat offensively. And they played into what Kentucky wanted to do. Um, you know, Kentucky wanted to say, Hey, you, you're going to be a passer and, and beat us with that. And he wasn't able to do it. Well, on a day, Mike, that's a bunch of upsets. Texas tech beats Houston, Wisconsin loses to Washington state, Tennessee wins at Pittsburgh. Not sure if that's really an upset or not. Obviously you mentioned Kentucky, uh, BYU beats Baylor uh, late night. Maybe the game of the day was one that was almost an upset and mm -hmm. probably a game that would have been the most surprising, but turned out in the end to just be exactly what we thought it would. Alabama 20, Texas 19. Great. This was one I, I think most people felt like this was going to be over early, uh, and it came down to uh, to really a late uh, just Superman-style, Heisman Trophy-style play by Bryce Young that uh, that helps Alabama get the victory. Texas played pretty well. They lose Quinn Ewers very early. Looks like he'll be out four to six weeks with a shoulder injury. Hudson Card comes in. You think, okay, maybe this is it. 
actually performs pretty admirably, all things considered. Uh, and Texas and, and, and Sark stay with uh, Alabama. Really interesting call in the end zone there that wasn't a, uh, a safety, but in, instead a roughing the passer. But either way, Alabama survives. Um, what does this say about Alabama? Is this just one of those deals where Texas just played really, really, really well? Or does it give you pause for concern about Alabama moving forward? Um, if they're not the team I thought they were, um, you know, and I guess th- this just is sloppy. I mean, it's sloppy play, and you're not used to that from a Nick Saban team. It's an offensive line that wasn't very dominant. You know, they couldn't run the ball, and that's something you don't expect from either. So there's the takeaways I have for this game are Nick Saban looked old um, and, and not because yeah. they were losing or, you know, struggling or it was hot. He, he, for the first time in my entire life, he looked 70. He looked like he usually looks 50. I don't know. Maybe it's his, maybe that's the hair. He just looked old. And that struck me. That's the first thing that struck me. The second thing that struck me is how good Quinn Ewers looked. And this isn't me like patting myself on the back. Oh my God, we had him ranked as the number one quarterback in the country or, you know, the number one player overall and, you know, rare arm talent like Matt Stafford and blah, blah, blah. This is just, he lived up to the hype and he looked good. Unfortunate injury. Hudson Carr comes in, valiant effort. Um, but what I see here is an Alabama team that doesn't look disciplined, um, didn't look physical enough. Uh, and that's offensively and defensively. And the first sign is first chink in the armor that I've ever seen from Nick Saban. And, and I'm talking, it may sound stupid, you know, who cares what he looks like physically? Who cares how he, whether he looks 70 or 50, who cares? It all plays in and it just did not look like Alabama football. Now they came away with a victory on the road, playing as bad as they could possibly play. Uh, but this is the first time in my career that I've taken pause and said, is this the start of a decline? Because it's going to come. The decline is going to come. They just signed a, a contract to coach till he's what, 78. Uh, it, it's going yeah. to happen. Eventually it has to happen where, you know, just, just like it with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. I mean, they look like garbage yesterday and, and, and he's starting to look his age and, and all this other stuff. Eventually, someone's going to catch up to you and someone's going to be better than you. And your program is no longer going to dominate and win 11 games every season and win a national title every couple of years. I came away from this game wondering if this is the start of that. Well, I have to ask the question that everyone wants to know, and I'll duck after I ask this question. Is Texas back, Mike? Are we ready to say Texas? They've been back-ish. They've been near the back line before. Is Texas back? No. Mike is shaking back. his head. Okay. Well, here's the thing. They're not back. And the reason I say that is I, I like the defensive effort, you know, especially up front. I thought they manhandled the Alabama offensive line, which is very hard to do. Um, they still couldn't run the football. Uh, you know, they they were okay passing the ball, had some nice plays. They also left a lot on the field when it comes to, you know, drops and overthrows. And, and they weren't – an efficient team. This was a battle of two teams that just didn't look great. Um, Alabama looked really, really bad compared to their standards and Texas probably looked a little better than their current standards, but they're not back. No. Um, I mean, Sark (laughs) cites Saban 
and says we have to avoid rat poison. You lost. I like Sark. I really do. And I don't like slamming him every week. And, and I shouldn't because I think he's a good coach. But there's no rat poison here. You lost the football game. You should have won. The the, the, the the officials really screwed them in many different ways. But you lost. You're one and one. The schedule isn't kind. You know, you've got UTSA. Frank Harris is going to give you problems. Texas Tech looks better than I expected. West Virginia stinks, but then you got Oklahoma. Um, it just doesn't get it doesn't get a lot easier from here. So, no, they're not back. Well, and a, and a lot of that schedule will be without Quinn Ewers, right? So it'll be with Hudson Card uh, at the at the helm. Uh, and Ewers and was nine of twelve. For like, talent. There's a huge drop off for sure. Hudson Card is nice and all that, but yeah. Quinn Ewers again. The, the, this is the old 20, 2009 Colt McCoy argument. And Colt McCoy can't hold Quinn Ewers' jock when it comes to arm strength. If Quinn Ewers stays in that game, uh, and we don't know. It was his first real legitimate test as a college football player. But the way he looked, uh, they were going to win that football game. And 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 we don't know what we've got with Hudson Card. Well, obviously a lot of surprises this weekend, Mike. Give me another game maybe that people aren't talking about, maybe something that you, uh, you found the results surprising or maybe even not surprising. Any other game that uh, – Piqued your interest this weekend? Hold on. Let me look. I mean, the, I love the Tennessee pick game, man. I, I think both of those yeah. programs are in really good shape moving forward. I like the defense is starting to get a little bit better at Tennessee. You know, not a ton, but every every week improvement is going to be important to them. Um, this little girl eating cereal now. Every time I re- just go back and forth on ESPN, I get something else. Um, Pitt, Pat Narduzzi. Has those guys playing hard. You know, he makes some weird decisions here and there sometimes. But Pitt fans should thank their lucky stars that he's their coach because they're well, another be another another game where quarterback injury, I think, you know, kind of impacts Pitt a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they lose Keaton Slovis. And Patty, Patty was out there on one leg, <laughs> like trying to make it work. I mean, that's yeah. another one where and, and, you have a, a healthy QB. Cedric Tillman had a tremendous game. Brew McCoy finally played, and, and we get to see how talented he's going to be moving down. But Pitt can run the football. That was really just a good football game between two teams that I think, you know, I think I think Pitt is going to be continually con- competing for the ACC uh, in their division. I think Tennessee's starting to move up a little bit. They're still behind Kentucky, um, but, you know, certainly better than South Carolina and some others in the East there. Uh, it was a fun game to watch, probably one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. I don't know if there's anything that really surprised me. Um, you know, I wasn't sure. Arkansas. Well, Arkansas, Arkansas? Yeah. I, I love Sam Pittman. Love him to death. I love the fact that people are putting him in now. You know, he's a, he'd be a candidate for the Nebraska job. What? Why would he do that? Why? Why? He, he took the hardest job in college football. So the, the two best rebuilding jobs, I've said this over and over again on this podcast, Matt Rule at Baylor and, and now Sam Pittman. What he inherited from Morris was just – disgusting and awful and in the 2020 schedule was awful and and now he's got this team two and oh and they're you know top they should be i think should be top 10 team in the country he would never leave um why you know he's not this is a guy that didn't go to arkansas you know but arkansas took a chance on him he never had any coordinator experience whatsoever he's a longtime coach he could have been that Bud Foster guy, or it could have been, you know, Jim Leonard, some of these guys have been around for a very long time that nobody takes a chance on Um, Venables, you know, until Oklahoma, he owes them a lot and he's paying them back and he's not going to leave. And South Carolina is a tough opponent. Um, 
you know, Arkansas held serve, covered the spread. They beat Cincinnati. These are two really, really solid victories where sometimes you got other teams with cupcake schedules and beating nobody like Michigan obviously has no ability to prepare for a football season playing the, these awful football teams. And they continue that with UConn. You know, now they got a little break with Missouri State. And then they're going Texas A&M, Alabama, back and back, back to back. And they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready for those two. Those two games are, uh, I think, at home, both of them. And, and you know, I just love what he's doing. Um, the neutral location for Texas A&M, which is why I said I think they're, it's a neutral location game. He's a great coach. Kentucky got a great coach. Reward that man. Keep him there forever. Arkansas got a great coach. Reward that man. Keep him there forever. There's going to be ups and downs. You know, at Kentucky and Arkansas, you, you're not going to, you know, win national championships and win 10 games every year. But you found the right coach. You got lucky that you found them. Keep them there forever. You mentioned a name earlier, Nebraska. I want to go back to it. We just talked about it. Josh Heupel, is, is, is Nebraska a better job than Tennessee? Nope. Um, and, and I'll tell you this. So here's the situation. is like you talk about a lot of these, a lot of these jobs. Uh, Dave Aranda has is, is been mentioned, too. Um, you know, he's a defensive coordinator in the Big Ten, hot coach, you know, but done a great job at Baylor. Why would he leave Baylor? I know, you know, Waco isn't a vacation destination or anything like that, but either it's Lincoln, Nebraska. You could recruit Texas. You, you go to Nebraska and you leave. Josh Heupel leaves and goes to Nebraska. I mean, you're just you're 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 on the opposite of an island. You're, you're as landlocked as humanly possible with no talent in any adjoining states whatsoever. When in Tennessee, you can head into Georgia, you can recruit your home state, you can head down to Mississippi, you can go into Florida and recruit. No, definitely not a, a, a lateral move. I would take the Tennessee job uh, 10 out of 10 times. And lastly, your, uh, your, your boys over there in, uh, in, at USC looked pretty solid, 41-28 victory. Caleb Williams throws for 340 yards. Jordan Addison, 172 yards receiving. Uh, Lincoln Riley got him hubbing. How dare you, my boys? Hubbing. Your boys. They are my boys. No, I mean they're they're looking good. I thought, I thought honestly, you know, Rice is not a good football team, but I thought the pace they play would, you know, give them a little bit of trouble and they come out a little sloppy with all the transfers and the and the issues in the trenches. Stanford, another punch-you-in-the-face type of football team. Thought they might give them a little bit of trouble. Neither of those teams gave them any trouble whatsoever. Caleb Williams looks great. Jordan Addison looks great. Die looks great. Everybody looks great. Not my boys, though. Um, okay. I think, right. honestly, you know, we haven't seen any sort of issue for Lincoln Riley yet. You know, it's been two games. But I, I I'm not sure, and I've told this to people, and they don't believe me, but we're going to find out. I'm not sure if he's made for L.A. and the criticism that will come eventually if USC doesn't get it done, especially when they move to the Big Ten. A um, little bit thin-skinned to me, uh, and that's going to be a concern. If I'm paying a head coach $10 million plus or whatever, obviously his salary isn't public, um, I want a guy who's going to be able to handle everything, you know, and, and, and why do I say that? I think really we're starting to see the, the media representation and how these guys handle themselves really come into play. Scott Frost handled himself really poorly at, at, at Nebraska and the media. He's just like, Meh. you know, Bleh. he's there. 
Brian Kelly. Is that, is that the 15 or 20 people puking? Yeah, that was, that was a few of the 15 to 20. Brian Kelly is already just making a fool of himself down at LSU. Um, and he was, I think, an okay fit at Notre Dame. There were some complaints about the red face and anger and all that stuff, but he was a good fit there, not a fit. I don't know if Lincoln Riley's a fit at USC yet. Um, things are going well, but I want to see how things go when they aren't going well because that's, that's what worries me. I think he bailed out of Oklahoma uh, for a lot of reasons that people don't talk about. Um, and I think, I mean, this is a guy whose brisket was burnt and he blocked everybody on Twitter. It's just, let's wait and see when things get a little rough out there. We'll leave that for a, a future show. Mike, anything got you pissed off this week? It was a great yeah. weekend of college football. A lot of upsets, Everything. a couple of nice games up this upcoming week. You, you're probably going to be diving into what's got you pissed off right now. Um, Actually, I, I, I am pissed off. I'm just trying to figure out why I'm pissed off. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a really, really good weekend. I didn't expect it to be such a good weekend when it comes to college football and upsets and all that stuff. And I don't sit here and root for upsets. I don't root against Notre Dame. I don't root against uh, Nebraska or, or, or root against Texas A&M. Um, I just think it's good for college football. It doesn't piss me off, but I think the transfer portal – um, the, 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 the move to the window of December, which has occurred is stupid, you know, because now you've got kids tweeting out that they're going to enter the portal in December. So let's slow down on tampering and let's make it all a 45 day window and a 15 day window in May. Um, oh, okay. NCAA, that's super smart. Kids are going to tweet it out. Now they're going to be tampered even more. Like it just makes no sense. And the transfer portal is so important. So important because we see the Chase Bryce is the world at App State, the Kalen LeBourne's at, at Marshall. What a difference these guys can make coming from power programs down to a, a group of five level. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit pissed off that the NCAA decided to go into those windows. Now, I know this occurred a couple of weeks ago, but it's starting to hit me now because I'm expecting we're in week two. By week four, you usually see a bunch of kids jump in. And what we're seeing are a bunch of tweets saying, I'm going to jump in. And it's nonsensical. It's going to lead to 10 times more tampering than there ever was before. Uh, so on the one hand, we have the greatness of the portal. And watching football games, you watch the Louisville and UCF game, right? Um, how many transfers? My eyes were my eyes were closed for most of it, Mike. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tyan Evans. So, oh, so were Gus Malzahn's apparently for a while there. Really, it's like, it's just, it's just, it's a new way of watching football now. It's like yeah, Tyon Evans. Oh, what high school did he come out of? No, I don't care. Where did he come from? Tennessee. Yeah. You know, yeah. Plumlee, on and on. You know, uh, Javon Baker. You know, Alabama to Kentucky to US, UCF. I mean, it's like, it's, 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 it's slowly edging towards parody, which is starting to sort of set itself. Originally, it was like, oh, the rich are going to get richer and the Jameer Gibbs are going to go to Alabama and they're never going to be beaten. It's it's the secondary level players that are going to spread out and help parity in college football. And then the NCAA has got to go and change it because they think it's unruly. And now you're going to give these superpower programs a three, four month head start on tampering. That pisses me off. I mean, we're close to parity. We really are with a 12-team playoff and, and the portal. And now the NCAA is going to ruin it all again. 
But they do, Mike. They uh, they ruin all our fun. Hopefully, though, we did not ruin your fun by bringing you sort of our week two recap here. Again, if you like what we're doing around here, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast feed on the Believe Podcast Network, also YouTube channel. Let's get those subscribers up here for Mr. Mike so he can continue to put out some of this great content. MikeFarrellSports.com is where you find all of his written pieces. So he's building an army around here, so make sure you are a part of it. And make sure you uh, you check back some other point. We may do a midweek. We may do a post-week. You never know when uh, when we're going to go live again here. So get it in your, get on your subscriptions, and it'll be in your feed right away whenever that happens to happen, Mike. Yeah, and um, always looking for young talent that don't want to make any money at MikeBarrelSports.com. Um, interns. Interns, interns, interns are the, the way of the world. So if you know graphics, if you know editing, if you want to get into writing, you know, you got to be good. You got to be, be stable and, and steady and a hard worker. But it's a really good opportunity because, you know, we're having fun over there on the site. We're putting out 10 pieces of content a day. Um, it's really an opportunity to get your name out there in front of other people. I'm, gonna, I'm working on my piece on why Gus Malzahn needs new glasses. So I'll have that to you soon, Mike. But uh, everyone check back again whenever it is that we do this again. Uh, and make sure you subscribe. Until then, fantastic week. Hopefully you all have. We'll chat soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.